joined as one book in the Hebrew canon. But now, of course, in our Bibles, it's been separated in what we know to be First and Second Kings. Now, the human author um, of the First Kings is not really known. We do know that every book of the Bible, the ultimate author is the Holy Spirit. But it is believed and, and has been um, traditionally believed throughout um, you know, history that Jeremiah was probably the one that pinned these words down, but we don't know for sure. Some have thought that perhaps it was Ezekiel that uh, would uh, write these words down. But this book covers chronologically where 2 Samuel uh, left off. And of course, 2 Samuel, uh, if you're with us in our study last summer in that book, and um, if you read it yourself, you know that 2 Samuel deals with the reign of David as David would become king of Israel. And what we're going to see now as we enter into 1 Kings, we're going to see the end of David's reign, and it's going to begin to tell us of Solomon's reign. And of course, Solomon would rule during uh, the time that Israel had its greatest power, its greatest prosperity, and, and its greatest wealth. And First and Second Kings is going to cover a, a time span of about 400 years. So we begin here in chapter 1 of 1 Kings in about 971 B.C. If you ever want to kind of keep a real simple timetable of the Old Testament, you can think Abraham came on the scene about 200 B.C. Then Moses was uh, there in the wilderness at about 1500 B.C. David was king of Israel about 1000 B.C. And then, of course, Daniel, he would be prophesying in about 600 B.C. Um, at the time that... Judah would go off into captivity. So that's a real simple way to keep a timeline of the Old Testament. And of course, Malachi, the last book of the uh, Old Testament, uh, Malachi was prophesying about 400 years before Christ came on the scene. So here is uh, the year about, you know, 970, 971 BC, and David's about ready to die, and uh, it is Solomon that's going to take the throne. But as we see that Israel here is united. And Solomon, even though he rules during the time of great peace and prosperity of the nation of Israel, he's really experiencing that because of the benefits of David being that great warrior that would lead Israel to defeat her enemies all around her. And so Solomon is really benefiting, kind of um, receiving the coattails, if you would, of his father David, who had done so much for the kingdom of Israel, bringing Israel together, united. And also we know that he would, David, bring Israel in great power and, and peace because he had defeated his enemies from all around. But what we're going to see that after the reign of Solomon, and we see his great riches and the glory of Israel during this time, we're going to see that Solomon, when he passes off the scene, that his son Rehoboam is going to take over. And then under the reign of Rehoboam, we will see the nation split. And the nation will split into what we know as the 10 northern tribes called the House of Israel. And then the two remaining tribes down south, Judah and Benjamin, they will make up what is known the House of Judah. And what we're going to see is a nation that goes from being united and prosperous and powerful to a nation that ends up being divided and is on decline. And eventually we're going to see two captivities. 
one for the nation of Israel, the ten northern tribes, that will take place in about 722 BC when the Assyrians come down and take the ten northern tribes off into captivity. And then later on for Judah in about beginning in 605 BC when the Babylonians come and take uh, the house of Judah off into captivity. So we begin to read in, in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 1. Now King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. So here is David. He's 70 years old. He's at the end of his life. He has reigned over Israel for 40 years. And you recall that for seven years, he reigned over uh, Judah. And then for uh, the next 33 years, he would bring the nation united together uh, after the house of Saul uh, would just... Um, be defeated and, and Saul's uh, throne was completely uh, dismantled and taken away and the kingdom came and the elders came from all the 12 tribes and said, David, you're the one that is going to rule over uh, the 12 tribes, all of us united together. So David would be the king for 33 years over a united kingdom. And David, as we saw in 2 Samuel, and as you read, had a very active life. Of course, David was anointed king by Samuel the prophet when he came to Bethlehem, came to the house of Jesse, and David, being the son of Jesse, was anointed king when he was only about 12, 13 years old. And at that time, David uh, would continue to work for his father, uh, being with the sheep. He would end up uh, being in the palace of Saul, who was the king at that time. And you recall that Saul had been rejected by God. And God said, I'm going to have another come and sit on the throne to be the king of Israel that has a heart after God. And that was David. And even though David was anointed king at the age of about 13, he did not become king till he was 30 years old. And during that time, David spent much of it running from Saul because Saul became very jealous of David. David was one that got the attention of the nation, particularly after he had slewed the champion of Gath, that is Goliath. And then also we know that David was a great warrior and the women of the cities were singing about David, that David has killed his ten thousands and Saul his thousands. And Saul didn't like that. And so Saul began to persecute David very, very heavily. And so for many years what happened was is that David was running from Saul, hiding in the wilderness, hiding in caves, uh, being pursued by Saul who wanted to put him to death. David was very active in that. He, again, spent many years on the battlefield, and he was a great warrior, and he was uh, not only doing battle that he did with Goliath the giant, but with other giants as well. And that had taken a toll on David, and we can think that 70 years old isn't that old, but, but really, physically, David went through a lot. And you recall that in 2 Samuel, towards the end, that we saw that David was battling one giant, and his strength left him because he was getting a advanced in years, and the guys had to rally around him and rescue him from that battle against that one giant. And so here we see that um, he is at the end of his life, and, um, and he can't get warm. Uh, one of the things that we can take note about David is that David served the Lord all the days of his life, and he was one that had a heart for the Lord. Now, what we're going to see when we go through First and Second Kings we got to kind of keep put on our thinking caps a little bit. Because First and Second Kings, what it's going to tell, particularly after, as I mentioned to you, the reign of Rehoboam, that we're going to see the kings mention of the house of Israel, 
All of those kings were bad kings. They were wicked kings involved in idolatry. And then we're also going to read about the kings of Judah. And some of the kings of Judah were good kings, but some of them also were idol worshipers. And because of their disobedience to the Lord, and because of their idol worship and refusing to turn back to the Lord and give up those idols, both those nations, the, the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah, would go off into captivity. So as we read about these kings, we got to, as I mentioned to you, really pay attention because there's going to be times where we're going to be reading about the king of Israel, and then pretty soon we're reading about the king of Judah. And Christians who aren't familiar in what happened with the nation splitting can get kind of confused about that. And so when we talk about the kings of Judah, and then when you read also First and Second Chronicles, because First and Second Chronicles only talks about the kings of Judah. And what the scripture does is compare those kings with David. And David being the greatest king that Israel ever had. And the reason that those kings are compared to David, though, though you'll read the phrase that uh, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and followed after the ways of his father David, you know, who did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And we know that David, he sinned, didn't he? He sinned with Bathsheba, committed adultery, he committed murder. But one thing that David never did was that he never bowed the knee to an idol. He had a heart after God. And he was one that was sensitive to the Lord, and he would repent of his sin, and he would turn to God. He was the sweet psalmist of Israel, and he was one that desired to worship the Lord, a worshiper of the Lord. So that's what made David great in the eyes of the Lord, and that's why those kings of Judah are compared to him. So here is David at the end of his life. He served the Lord all the days of his life. He worshiped the Lord. He gave praise to the Lord, and I want that to be said of me when I come to the end of my life. I want to continue serving the Lord as long as I can. I want to continue to praise the Lord as long as I can all the days of my life, just as David is doing. And so we continue reading in verse 2, Therefore his servant said to him, Let a young woman, a virgin, be sought for our Lord the king, and let her stand before the king, and let her care for him, and let her lie in your bosom, that our Lord the king may be warm. And so they sought for a lovely young woman throughout all the territory of Israel, and found Abishag, the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. And the young woman was very lovely, and she cared for the king, and served him, but the king did not know her. And so what they do, is because David can't keep warm, um, they find a, a young virgin to help keep David warm. And it's interesting that Josephus, the Jewish historian, mentions that this was a, a medical practice at this time. So she is uh, helping David keep warm, but she's also being a nurse to him as well. Now, David doesn't have physical relations with her, as verse 4 tells us. He did not know her, but she would probably become one of David's concubines as she's there helping take care of David. We read in verse 5, Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king, and he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And so here is David's son. I mean, David hasn't even died yet. And here is his son that exalts himself, and he says, I'm going to be the king. I'm going to, to take over the throne. There's no hint as we read through this chapter that Adonijah went to David and talked to David about this. There's no hint that, uh, that he went to the Lord 
and desired to follow the Lord's will in this and who's going to be the next king. He exalts himself is what the scripture says. And he says, I'm going to be king. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to have these, this chariot and 50 runners before me. So he's probably thinking, well, it's obvious that I'm going to be the next king because David's firstborn, Amnon, was dead. He was killed, as you recall, as you read in, in 2 Samuel, that the whole story of how Amnon, David had wives and he had concubines. He had a number of, of children, and it was his daughter uh, Tamar, who was very beautiful, and, and so Tamar's half-brother Amnon uh, ended up raping her, and David found out about it. He did nothing about it. So Tamar's uh, brother Absalom, who was David's third son, he takes matters into his own hands because David didn't do anything to Amnon. He didn't deal with the situation. So Absalom ends up killing a man. So uh, uh, Ammon is dead, uh, killed by David's third son, Absalom, uh, who uh, also was one that was full of pride. We also know that uh, it would be the second son of David. His name was Chiliad. There's nothing in the scripture really mentioned of him. So we don't know if he's not even alive at this time or he just isn't around. Uh, most scholars believe that perhaps Chiliad, David's second son, that he's, he's not around. So David's first, second, and third son, Absalom, of course, was killed when Absalom rebelled against his father. So next is, is Adonijah. So he rises up, and he's like his brother Absalom. Now, you remember Absalom in 2 Samuel. Absalom was one that uh, he had a chariot and 50 runners before him. And he would uh, go to the gate of the city where, you know, the cases were heard and where the judges would come down and judge these cases. He would get there very early because the people would travel and they would get in line uh, and they would get in line so they could, you know, have their cases heard. And, and uh, there was no guarantee that their case would be heard that day. And so they would have to stay around. So here's Absalom. He's there and early in the morning before the judges would come out. And he said, if I was the king, I'd be here early and I'd hear your case and I'd really do something for you. And so he ended up stealing the hearts of the people as Second Samuel chapter 15 tells us. And then he would blow the trumpet and the people would want Absalom to be the king. So David had to flee Jerusalem. And you recall as we went through all of that and Absalom ended up being killed by Joab because of all of that. So here's Adonijah. He exalts himself, and we're going to see what happens to him just as it did with his brother Absalom. Now, as most of us know, that Proverbs tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And the scriptures are true. God's word is true in what it says. Galatians also says, whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. And none of us are exempt from that. None of us are exempt from, from what the scripture says when we have pride and when we have a haughty spirit that it's just going to end up uh, destroying what God wants to do in our lives. It, it brings a fall in our lives. We end up falling and, and crashing spiritually and sometimes even in worse ways. And now we're going to see 
what the pride of Adonijah is going to lead, and it's going to lead to his literal destruction, as we'll continue reading in this book. But verse 6, we do read, And his father had not rebuked him, that is Adonijah, at this time by saying, Why have you done so? He was also very good-looking. The mother had borne him after Absalom. And so Adonijah, he was like his brother Absalom, very good-looking, very prideful, had this chariot with runners running before him. And here we see that it says that David didn't deal with him, verse 6. He had not rebuked him at any time by saying, why have you done so? So apparently Adonijah, as you read verse 6 here, that he was one that this was characteristic of his life. Very prideful, you know, always exalting himself. Um, and David was one that didn't rebuke his son. David didn't discipline his children. And that's something that we saw and talked about in our study of 2 Samuel, didn't we? David, he was a great king, the greatest king that Israel ever had. He was the sweet psalmist of Israel. He was a great warrior. He was a great administrator. But he failed in a lot of ways in his responsibility in disciplining his children. You recall that in the book of Deuteronomy, right before the children of Israel came into the promised land, that the Lord said to the children of Israel, when you ask for a king... The Lord knew that they would eventually ask for a king, even though it was nearly 500 years later that they would ask for a king. And when they asked for a king, all of a sudden, as, as they would do that, but the Lord had given them instructions. When you ask for a king, the king is not to multiply horses, the king is not to multiply gold, and the king is not to multiply wives. Now we're going to see that Solomon, that he multiplies all three of those things. He had many horses, he's going to have many wives, and he's going to uh, also uh, be one that multiplies gold. And David here, he had multiple wives, and it created problems. He had all these children, but David failed in disciplining his children. And we saw that with the whole situation, as I mentioned to you, with Amnon and Absalom and Tamar and what was going on. Uh, you can go back and review those chapters. But David, even though he knew that there were some serious problems, he would seem to ignore you know, dealing with his children or disciplining his children. And we know that the scripture has given us the, the command as parents, and particularly for you as fathers that are here tonight, that you have been ordained and commissioned by God that you are to discipline your children. You see, I think that what happens so oftentimes in the church, um, if you're not careful, is the husband, the, the father, can kind of be passive in that area. And I'll, I'll let mom deal with the kids. But fathers, as Paul would address them, they're in the book of Ephesians, that you're to raise your children in the admonition of the Lord. That we're to take the lead in that disciplining them. And yes, mothers and fathers are going to together play a very important role in raising our children in the ways of the Lord, yes, but, but, and, and disciplining our children. But fathers, don't be passive about that. And parents, we are to discipline our kids. We know that. And here David failed once again to deal with his son here, 
who has exalted himself. He had failed to rebuke him when he had this characteristic of exalting himself and causing problems. And so we are to raise our children in the admonition of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 23 tells us not to withhold correction from a child. And it goes on to say that children listen to your father who begot you and they need discipline. And if they don't get it, we know that they're going to go astray and it's going to lead to an undisciplined and hard life for them. We know as Christians that a loving father disciplines his children. That is, our God disciplines us when we begin to go astray, when we begin to, to, to go off in another direction, when we're not listening to him. And Hebrews says that it's a father that loves his children and, and he will discipline those whom he loves because he doesn't want us to be hurt. He doesn't want us to, to lead an undisciplined life and have a hard life and I know that, that a lot of us can say, yes, I felt the discipline of the Lord, the chastening of the Lord, but that is because he loves you. He loves me. And we discipline out of love, and we do that for our children because we want them to do good. And, and being a father of four children, disciplining them is not a fun thing. It isn't like I really enjoy, you know, disciplining my children. Now, they're growing up, and they're, uh, my two older ones are... are you know, adults now. But I remember, you know, years ago, and, and there always seemed to be something or something I had to talk to them about, but it was something that Sue and I were determined to do, that we we're going to bring that discipline to the children and raise them up in the ways of the Lord and, and to pray for them and to talk to them what the Scripture has to say when they did wrong, not only what they did wrong, but why and how it breaks the heart of the Father. So it takes real, real commitment in doing that. So don't neglect that. And disciplining your children. Proverbs 29, verse 17, Correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. So we've been ordained as parents to do that. And David failed that, as we see once again in verse 7. Then he conferred with Joab, that is, this is Adonijah, Joab the son of Zeruiah, and Abiathar the priest, and they followed and helped Adonijah. So here, um, this would be difficult for David to have this happen to him. Joab, who was David's military leader for so many years, for so many battles, and David had shown a lot of grace to Joab. Joab was one that was kind of, as you recall in 2 Samuel, he was a loose cannon. He took matters into his own hands. He killed Abner, Abner who was the military leader under the, the rule of Saul. And, and when the kingdom was being united, it was Abner that came to David and said, David, let's unite the kingdom. Let's have this peace. And Abner was going to join in with David. And it was Joab that ended up killing Abner in cold blood. We know that when Absalom, David's son, rebelled against David and, and usurped the throne and David had to flee Jerusalem, that when they went to battle, David and his mighty men against uh, the men of Israel, that David gave specific instructions, if you can spare my son Absalom, please spare his life. And Joab ignored that command and he ended up killing Absalom. And so Absalom um, was killed. Joab was demoted at that time, and then David made Amasa the military leader, and it was Joab that killed him and took over the military again. So Joab was a loose cannon, and here we see that he joins in with David's son, probably because 
he has been demoted once again, and Benaiah is the king, uh, or that is the head of the military. So here is Joab in, in verse 7, the son of Uriah that's with Adonijah, and Abiathar the priest, he is also joining in with uh, David's son here. Now, Abiathar, you might recall that he was with David, faithful to David, when David was fleeing Absalom. It was Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, that were going with David, and David said, listen, go back to Jerusalem, and uh, I want you to hear the advice of Absalom, and then send your sons to come and tell me so we can make plans. So Abiathar, as we look at 2 Samuel, he was one that was faithful to David. So you can look at this and think, well, why is he joining in this rebellious spirit of Adonijah? Why is he doing this? Well, it's probably because Zadok, the indication here in this chapter, we're going to see that he's the high priest. And so here is Abiathar. He's thinking, listen, if Adonijah becomes the king, then he'll promote me and I'll become the high priest. So I'm going to join in with Adonijah. It seems like he's going to be the king. We talk to our kids about being ambitious, don't we? And we want our kids to be aggressive in life. Um, and there's nothing wrong in that if it is done in a godly way. I mean, I don't want my kids just to be passive. I don't want this ministry just to be passive and comfortable and laid back. You know, I want to be aggressive, ambitious in getting the gospel out. And, and my heart is stirred in doing that. That's why we have the radio program. That's, that's why we work so hard in, in getting the Word of God every day over the airwaves as it goes across on Grace FM. That's why we you know, spend time with the young people and discipling them, uh, having them over to the house because we want to pour our lives and our hearts into them. That's why we have Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. We want to be aggressive in ministering to people and getting the gospel out and the word of God out to people so they can do well in the things of God. And I hope that you feel the same way in your own lives and in your own ministry. But ambition alone without integrity and without godly humility and godly wisdom can get you into a whole lot of trouble. And I think that's what's happening here with Abiathar. He's following Adonijah because he's thinking it will serve my purposes and maybe perhaps I'll get promoted as the high priest. And we continue in verse 8, But Zadok the priest, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, Rei, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. So Benaiah was David's general. He had replaced Joab. Uh, Nathan the prophet, of course, was the one that confronted David in 2 Samuel chapter 12 uh, concerning his son with, uh, uh, concerning his sin, that is, with Bathsheba. Um, so we are familiar with Nathan the prophet. Shimei, Rei, uh, we're not sure exactly who he is. Now, when we get to chapter 4, we're going to see that Shimei is a deputy in Solomon's government. So it's probably the same person here. Some have suggested that perhaps this is Shama, David's brother, um, that could be spoken of. But it's probably uh, that um, deputy in Solomon's government that we don't know a whole lot about. So these guys, they're not with Adonijah. They're not joining in this rebellion. In verse 9, And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fatted cattle by the stone of Soheleth, which is by Enrago. And he invited all his brothers and his king's son, <coughs> excuse me, and all the men of Judah, the king's servant. 
But he did not invite Nathan, the prophet, Benaiah, the, the mighty man, or Solomon, his brother. So here is this banquet, and sacrificing has taken place at this banquet. It's taken place at Zoheleth, and that is just south of Jerusalem in the Kidron Valley. Now the Kidron Valley is just right between the Mount of Olives and where the temple was, um, and where the temple is going to be built, where Solomon is going to build it. And it runs north and south, so they're south of the city in this valley. And so Heleth means stone of serpent. So he calls those who are with him, Joab, Abiathar, brothers. Uh, that's who he has with him in this big banquet. And they're doing it at Soheleth. And, you know, just the name itself, these guys should have known something is just not quite right here. I mean, where are the other leaders? Where is Nathan the prophet, the spiritual leader? Where's, you know, um, Zadok? And, and where's the mighty men of David? Where, where's Solomon? Where are these guys? Solomon's not here. And they should have been wise. And, and why are we here at the serpent's rock? <laughs> and we know that Adonijah was wanting to do his own will and not God's will. We need to be careful that when we find ourselves in a place or a situation that we're allowing the Lord to speak to us because the Holy Spirit will as you're sensitive to his leading. This isn't just quite right. Something just not quite right here. And what is going on? Or this person rising up? Or where we're hanging out at this place? And, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to warn you about if something is not right. And these guys should have wised up, hey, something isn't right here. We're at the rock of the serpent. And we're the other spiritual leaders. We're David's leaders. Why aren't they here? And we need to learn to be wise. And we need to learn to be sensitive to the leading of the Lord and hearing the still small voice of the Lord. So verse 11, And then Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king, and David, our Lord, does not know it? Come, please, let me now give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. So Nathan, the prophet, warns Bathsheba on what's going on. Something needs to be done to save your life and the life of Solomon. And that's what he's warning him, that, that you may save your own life. Because tradition was, if Adonijah became king, he would put to death anybody who was a threat to his throne. And that would mean Bathsheba and Solomon. So... Adonijah, he's going to rise to power. Bathsheba, do you know what's going on? And something needs to happen or you're going to lose your life. And so is Solomon. And we read in verse 13, Go immediately to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord, O king, swear to your maidservant, saying, Surely your son Solomon shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then has Adonijah become king? And then while you're still talking there with the king, I also will come in after you and confirm your words. So go to David and, and tell him what's going on. And then I'll confirm it with David because out of the mouths of two or three witnesses, as Deuteronomy tells us, every word should be established. So Nathan knew that Solomon 
was to be the king. And David doesn't know what's going on at this time as he's at the end of his life. In verse 15, so Bathsheba went into the chamber to the king. Now the king was very old and Abishag, the Shunammite, was serving the king. And Bathsheba bowed and did homage to the king. Then the king said, what is your wish? And then she said to him, my lord, you swore by the Lord your God to your maidservant, saying, surely Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. And so now look, Adonijah has become king, and now, my lord, the king, you do not know about it. He has sacrificed oxen and fatted cattle and sheep in abundance and has invited all the sons of the king Abiathar the priest and Joab the commander of the army but Solomon your servant he has not invited and as for you my lord O king the eyes of all Israel are on you that you should tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord the king after him in verse 21, otherwise it will happen when my lord the king rests with his fathers that I and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. And just then, while she was still talking with the king, Nathan the prophet also came in. So they told the king, saying, Here is Nathan the prophet. And when he had come in before the king, he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, My lord, O king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down to Today and has sacrificed oxen and fatted cattle and sheep in abundance and has invited all the king's son and the commanders of the army and Abiathar the priests and look they are eating and drinking before him and they say long live king Adonijah in verse 26 but he has not invited me uh, your servant nor Zadok the priest nor Benaiah the son of Jehoiada nor your servant Solomon has this thing been done by my lord the king and have you not told uh, your servant who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him so we see here that they let david know what has developed and it's bad news david and you need to make a decision because verse 21 uh, as we see uh, that otherwise that that me and as bathsheba is talking to him and your son solomon we're going to be counted as offenders and Adonijah is going to come against us. And all of Israel's eyes are on you, verse 20, so you can make a decision. So there's some confusion here. Didn't you tell me, David, Bathsheba is saying, that Solomon, our son, is going to be the king? And so David realizes the seriousness of the situation when Bathsheba mentions that Joab was with him. He's, he's rebelled against you and... and, um, and it, it is not Nathan or Benaiah or, or um, Zadok that's with him. So there's this rebellion going on. And notice that Nathan, as he comes in, Nathan the prophet, and he confirms what is being said. Notice that Nathan, he doesn't just come in and start blasting away. He doesn't come in and say, David, you need to do something now, and this is what you need to do, and why did you let this happen? Nathan, he, he comes in and he's wise. Is this what you wanted, David? This is what's going on. Is this what you wanted? Because what I understood is you wanted your son Solomon to be the king. So Nathan's not demanding and being all aggressive, but he's being respectful and he's being very sensitive. Listen, when we talk to people and there's a situation where there's a miscommunication or there's a misunderstanding, that use wisdom, be respectful and, and use wisdom in saying, is this what the case is? And it really, when we have that kind of heart, where it is desiring to be understanding, that I thought that this is what 
the situation is, or this is what we had communicated, but am I wrong, am I misunderstanding? And when you go with that kind of heart, it's very amazing how things will get worked out and talked through, and understanding will come. But if you just come and you start blasting away at people, and start yelling at them, and start being demanding, and, and, and all of this without listening to the people who are involved in that situation, then it becomes very, very much harder for, and difficult for that situation to be resolved and for there to be real clear communication. Do you understand what I'm saying? And sometimes we can get emotional or tired, we can get frustrated and all of this, and, and, and those things happen. And, and all of us have been in situations where tempers start flaring up and people start yelling and, and there's miscommunications, but use wisdom and have a gentle heart and speak clearly and make sure that you're desiring that there be understanding and use patience and those are all fruit of the spirit that we're to be a part of gentleness and patience and 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 being able to use godly wisdom in a situation i remember i was um you know my phone rang and and i answered it and i said hello it's my cell phone and a guy got, got on and he just starts yelling and he's going you know, this job that you did, blankety, blank, and blank, and using foul language and everything. And I said, um, excuse me, but I think you have the wrong number. You just got a hold of the cell phone of a police chaplain. Real quiet. And he said, oh, forgive me, Father. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget that. And, you know, you might want to check in who you're talking with before you start blasting away. And whoever it is that you're mad at, you may not want to go in that kind of attitude or that heart. Okay, I'll, I'll take that advice. But the thing is, is that here Nathan is being one that is wise and respectful and very sensitive to, to David in the situation. We continue verse 28. Then King David answered and said, Call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king took an oath and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress, and just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Surely Solomon your son shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place, so I certainly will do this day. So David gives this solemn oath, as the Lord lives, and notice, who has redeemed my life from every distress. David went through a lot of distresses, didn't he? He was pursued and persecuted by Saul. He was one that would fight the enemy. He was one that was facing rebellion from his own family, but yet the Lord was faithful to him and redeemed his life from every distress. And maybe you're here tonight, and maybe you're feeling some kind of distress, and the Lord is here with you, and his promises are for you. And he's not going to leave you. And he redeems our lives from every distress that we face in life. So David, at the end of his life, is remembering God's faithfulness that God has displayed in his life. And David sets things in order and gives the word that Solomon is to be the next king. This is God's will. In verse 31, Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the earth and paid homage to the king and said, Let my lord King David live forever. And King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king. And the king also said to them, Take with you the servants of your lord and have Solomon 
and my son ride on my own mule and take him down to Gihon. And there let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel and blow the horn and say, Long live King Solomon. And then you shall come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, and he shall be king in my place, for I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. And Benaiah the son of Jehoiada answered the king and said, Amen, and may the Lord God of my Lord the king say so too. And as the Lord has been with the Lord the king, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord King David. So the arrangement has been made for the anointing of Solomon as king. He has three of his prominent leaders um, that are there as he gives this command and uh, put Solomon on my mule, David says, and blow the trumpet and declare that Solomon is king and he'll sit on my throne and I'll have it declared that he is the appointed king, and this is what I want. And so they say, Amen, you bet, so be it. May the Lord bless him. And we see in verse 38, So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Perethites, that is, the guys that were the mighty men of David, went down and had Solomon ride on David's uh, King David's mule and took him to Gihon. Then Zadok the priest took a horn of oil the, from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon, and they blew the horn, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. In verse 40, And all the people went up after him, and the people played the flutes and rejoiced with great joy, so that the earth seemed to split with their sound. So here they are in Gihon. Now Gihon is just right up the creek from where Adonijah was at um, having this feast. So Gihon is also in the Kidron Valley, and these guys can hear the noise of all the people, and what's the noise, and what's all the commotion is what they're going to say. But I want to point out a principle here, that here is Adonijah, that he's at that place, Zoheleth, the rock of the serpent. And here is God's will being worked out, and the anointing of, of Solomon. And know this, that wherever God is working, that not far away, Satan is going to try to be working as well. And he's going to try to, to keep the work of God from happening and, and taking place. And I know that here at Calvary Chapel, God has been working so tremendously uh, over these last few months. So many new people coming and visiting and hearing us. And I know that God is working and people are raising their hands for salvation. And it's been wonderful. But I want us to realize this, that not far, Satan is looking and he's lurking. And he's going to try to do anything he can to keep the work of God from coming out from this place. And we need to realize it and be in prayer. We need to be not ignorant of Satan's devices, and we need to be ones that, that we are watching because he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So be in that place of praying and praying for the church and praying for the leadership because not far is the enemy. He's not happy that the church is growing. He's not happy that you're here on Wednesday nights studying the scriptures. He's not happy that, that people are being raised up for ministry. And so he's going to try to keep that work from happening and we need to be in a place of prayer. So verse 41, Now Adonijah and all the guests who were with them heard it and they finished eating. And when Joab heard the sound of the horn, he said, Why is the city in such a noisy uproar? And while he was still speaking, and there came up Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest. And Adonijah said to him, Come in, for you're a prominent man, and bring good news. Oh, it must be the noise for me. That's the news you're bringing? And all of a sudden we see that Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, Nope, no way. Our Lord King David has made Solomon king. The party's over. And the king has sent him to Zadok, the priest, Nathan, the prophet, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, 
Cherethites and the Perethites, and they have made him ride on the king's mule. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet had anointed him king of Gihon, and they have come up from their rejoicing so that the city is in the uproar, and that is the noise that you have heard. And also Solomon sits on the throne of David, and moreover the king's servants have gone to bless our Lord King David, saying, May God make his, the name of Solomon better than your name, and may he make his throne greater than your throne. Then the king bowed himself on the bed. So David knows about it. David has given his blessing on this and the people as well. And so the king said, Thus blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has given one to sit on my throne this day while my eyes see it. So all the guests who were with Adonijah were afraid. They better be afraid. And arose and each one his way. Listen, be careful, Christian. Be careful when you got somebody who rises up and says, I'm going to take over. I'm going to take charge. I'm going to rebel, whatever it is. And you be careful in joining in on that. What is their motive? What is their motive? Is it to exalt themselves? What is your motive for joining that? So you might get exalted, that your purposes might be done. And you see, be careful when somebody rises up in rebellion or rises up and says, I'm going to take over this situation. You better be wise in that. Because oftentimes it's out of, out of pride and out of a haughty spirit and for the purposes of that person doing it that they want or for you to join in. So, you know what, here my purposes are being met. Does it honor the Lord in that whenever you, that you join in with something? Does God look at it and say, this is good? And is it being done in a humble way, in a wise way? So we need to be careful when things like this happen in family situations or at the workplace. What is the motive why it's being done? And can you and I, can we join in with that if, if there needs to be changes or something or, or a situation happens? Is God honored this? Is, is this wise? Is this being done for good reasons and godly reasons and godly integrity. And so don't just join in in, in all the hoo-ha that goes on in life uh, that can happen all around us. In verse 50, and Adonijah was afraid of Solomon, so he arose and he went and took hold of the horns of the altar. That's the altar right outside the temple that had horns on the edge of it, so they tie up the animal that was going to be sacrificed. And so that was a place of, of um, sanctuary for a person to, to hold on to the horns of the altar and and, um, and find grace and mercy. And it was told Solomon, saying, Indeed, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon, for look, he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today, and he will not put his servant to death with the sword. And then Solomon said, If he proves himself a worthy man, not one hair of, his, of him shall fall to the earth, but if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent them to bring him down from the altar, and he came and fell down before the king. Solomon and Solomon said to him, go to your house. And so here is Adonijah. He finds grace and mercy from Solomon because he went to that place of sacrifice. I want to end with this. You and I, we find grace and mercy when we go to Calvary, don't we? And my prayer is tonight as we come to the communion table, we come to the communion table remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us and allowing his body to be broken for us and his bloodshed for forgiveness of sin. We find mercy and grace there, don't we? So I pray that tonight we rejoice in that. I pray tonight, if you haven't done that, that you would do that. That you would come to the cross of Calvary and realize that Jesus Christ died for your sins. And you can come and give your heart to Jesus and find forgiveness of sin 
come in a right relationship with the Father and have the hope of eternal life. Father, we thank you for this time tonight, for this time that we're going to enter into, and that is a time of worship and communion. But Lord, tonight, as we just got a minute, Lord, I pray if there's anybody that's here in this place or out in the coffee shop, that if there's anyone here, you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ. You've never surrendered completely. That Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And the Lord desires for you to come and receive him into your heart as you believe that Jesus, in your heart, died for your sins because all of us have sinned. And he died for you because of his love for you. And he was put into a grave and he rose again after three days. And salvation is found through Jesus Christ alone. It isn't found in the world or trying to be good or even by going to church, as good as going to church is. No church can save you, only Jesus can. And I pray just if there's anyone here tonight that you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, we come to the communion table as Christians because we remember that our hope is in Jesus. It's in no one else or nothing else. We can't save ourselves. You can't make it to heaven on your own merit. It is realizing that you're a sinner in need of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Will you open up your heart to him tonight, if that means you? And you can pray right where you're sitting, Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God who died for me, and I, I wanted to to come and, and surrender my heart to you tonight as my Lord and Savior because I believe that you died on Calvary's cross for me and that you rose from the grave and you're alive knocking on the door of my heart. And I believe in you. And I give my heart to you right now. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. And if you prayed that prayer after the service, I want you to come up and talk with me and pray with me. Tell me the decision that you made. And I want you to be able to... to